first lesson for this third Sunday in Lent is found recorded in the book of Genesis, Exodus, chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. This portion of scripture is the Ten Commandments, God giving of the Ten Commandments. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of, out of the land of Egypt where you were slaves. You shall have no other gods, gods beside me. You shall not make any carved image for yourself or a likeness of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow down to them or be subservient to them. I am the Lord your God, or I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I follow up on the guilt of the fathers with their children, their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren, if they also hate me. But I show mercy to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not permit anyone who misuses his name to, to escape unpunished. Remember the Sabbath day by setting it apart as holy. Six days you are to serve and do all your regular work, but the seventh day shall be a Sabbath rest to the Lord your God. Do not do any regular work, neither you your, no, nor your sons or daughters, nor your male or female servants, nor your cattle, nor the alien who is residing inside your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. In this way, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may spend many days on the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servants, his female servants, his ox, his donkey, or anything, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at the 22nd verse. The Apostle Paul writes, Yes, Jews ask for signs, Greeks desire wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is offensive to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, beginning at the 13th verse. The Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and money changers sitting at tables. He made a whip of cords and drove everyone out of the temple courts, along with the sheep and oxen. He shattered the coins of the money changers and, or scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those selling doves, he said, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, 
Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews responded, What sign are you going to show us to prove you can do these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. The Jews said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. When Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. Then they believed the scriptures and what Jesus had said. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the book of Isaiah chapter 6 beginning at the first verse. I read these words as part of our sermon series on the stained glass windows. And we're going to hear uh, the Lord calling Isaiah to be a prophet. In the year of that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of the one who called, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, I am doomed. I am ruined because I'm a man with unclean lips, and I dwell among a people with unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, carrying a glowing coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with the coal and said, Look, this has touched your lips, so your guilt is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the Lord's voice saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ and heirs of everlasting life, Christocentric is the word for the day. Christ-centered. It is the teaching of divine truth that when it comes to interpreting the scriptures, we do so in the light of who Jesus is and all that he has done for us. Everything points to Jesus. In fact, Jesus even said that to the religious leaders when he made it clear to them that these are the scriptures that testify of me. And it is because of that theme that the stained glass glasses are actually put in a certain order. In fact, we start on the west side in the back corner and they're all laid out in a clockwise and in addition, on the west side is the Old Testament, and on the east side is the New Testament. And you will notice that the figures, and maybe you've heard me say this before, that for the most part they all point and look forward. Because they're all looking forward to what really matters. And in this church, the most important furniture we can have is what hangs on the wall. The cross of Jesus Christ. 
where he gave his life on the cross for the sins of the world to pay for those sins in full. But notice it is an empty cross because Jesus didn't remain there. When he said it is finished, sins were paid in full. And he rose from the dead. And because he lives, we too shall live. This is what we point to. This is what we heard the Apostle Paul from the lectern speak about when he said, we preach Christ crucified. And so do we. And these stained glass windows are laid out that way. But when Isaiah saw the throne room of God in heaven, he didn't see a cross. He saw a throne and someone sitting on that throne. He saw this vision which God gave him during the year that King Uzziah died. And why this is important is because once King Uzziah died, this is the beginning to the end of the southern kingdom of Judah. It won't be long, and the Babylonian Empire will be coming to capture Jerusalem and destroy the temple, 586 B.C. But before then, the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, has decided to call Isaiah to be a prophet. Isaiah had been a recorder of events, is how it's put in the Bible. In other words, he was a historian for Uzziah, but God had other plans for him. And he revealed these plans in a very unique way. In a vision, he saw, again, heaven. And he saw the throne room. And of course, the most important piece in the throne room has to be the throne. But, but that's only a piece of furniture. What's even far more important is the one sitting on that throne. And he speaks of that one as the Lord. Now the word Lord here is used in the sense of this is the master. This is the king of kings. But the angel said he'll hear spoke of it as word Lord, which is in all four capital letters. That is, remember the great I am, the very name he gave to Moses when the Lord spoke from that burning bush. And then he didn't even stop there. He heard the angels say, this is the Lord of the armies. In other words, this is the Lord of the heavenly hosts. And, and any Lord and any God who has control of the greatest army ever, and that is the army of angels, is certainly the Lord Almighty. That is who he was seeing, sitting in the throne room of God. And but that wasn't the only thing he saw. He saw these, he saw these, uh, these seraphim. In fact, this is the only place in Scripture where these this word is even used. I mean, we've heard of the word cherubim, and and and. Outside of that, we've heard of angels, and, and but seraphim? In fact, some believe that seraphim is, is simply another word for the cherubim, which is not a bad guess. It's interesting that the word seraphim, in, in its very root word, actually means fiery one. And the word is oftentimes used to describe a poisonous snake. That's a seraph. And because of that, many scholars believe and actually teach 
that the seraphim may have been snake-like creatures that had six wings, two to cover the face, two to cover the feet, and two to fly with. We actually don't know for sure. But here's what we do know, that these are clearly angels of the highest rank because they were closest to the throne of God. They were flying over, over them. And what is important is not necessarily who they are, but what they were saying. And what they were saying was amazing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. In the original Hebrew language, there is no such thing as a superlative like we have it that ends in E-S-T. You know, like the word holiest. So instead of having a little, uh, adding three letters to an end of a word to show that's a superlative, the Hebrew language instead will double the word. So in the temple you had the holy place. But remember the back part where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. That was the holy of holies. Or as many translate, the most holy. But here the angels say, holy, holy, holy. They're not just saying holy, holy, but with three holies. So this is the one who is holy of the most holies. And no one is greater than that ever. Only God could have such a title. And only God could receive such a praise. And this is the very God who deserves this praise. Because the earth is full of his glory. He made the entire world and universe. And therefore, everything is held accountable to him and to him alone. Wow, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And remember, Isaiah saw this king of glory with a great train that filled the room. And then smoke was also in the room. And that, that smoke oftentimes was how God manifested himself called the glory of the Lord. It was a smoke or sometimes translated cloud that, that filled the temple or the tabernacle when it was dedicated and then filled King Solomon's temple when that was dedicated. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We don't have the tune to, to what they were singing, but these words are just gorgeous. And these are the words that will be sung in heaven. Do you realize, my dear friends, that before we get to heaven, we have a beautiful privilege and honor to sing these very words. Again, we don't know the tune, but tunes have been put to these words. And in fact, this very day, during our communion service, we will be singing the words of the angels and getting to sing them now. As we receive the very bread and wine together with the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins, knowing that where there is forgiveness, there is the sure hope of heaven. So why not sing it now? They sang this so loud that it actually shook the doorposts and the threshold because they couldn't keep it to themselves. This was to be heard and heard for the entire world. And it was sung in heaven. 
God bless us to sing these words as we take them to heart and sing them that all may know the one true God who is holy, holy, holy. You would have thought that Isaiah would have been just delighted. You would have expected him to say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank God. But that was not his reply. Instead, he says this, I am doomed. I am ruined. Because I'm a man with unclean lips, and I dwell among a people with unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of the armies, he saw the, the, the one who is the King of kings, the one who rules over the entire universe to his glory and for the saving of souls. The Apostle John says that Isaiah was actually seeing the Lord Jesus himself. He's looking at the Savior. And his reply is, I am doomed, I am ruined. He knew, as we must all know, as the patriarchs of old knew, that no one could stand before a holy God and live. He knew he was a sinful human being who inherited this sinful nature, and he knew that he was a sinful human being who deserved God's wrath and eternal condemnation. I am ruined. The Lord sends the angel to go to the altar in the throne room and to grab a live coal. The angel takes it with tongs and actually puts it in his hand. It doesn't burn him up. And then he takes it over to Isaiah and touches his lips. Just think of one of the most sensitive parts of your body, the very lips. And the angel touched that live coal there. It didn't destroy him. There's no talk of it even burnt him or even left a mark. It didn't even set him ablaze. And the reason for this, the angel says, your guilt is taken away and your sins is forgiven. Once again, in the original language, there's actually three words for sin. There is one called trespasses, and that means don't step over the forbidden line. And then there's another word called iniquity. That means when we don't measure up, see, we've fallen short. And then there is the word for sin, which is also used in the Greek language of the one missing the mark. It's an archer's term. If you don't hit the bullseye every time, if you're off even by a little bit, you have sinned. And we're talking being off a little bit when it comes to God's law. Iniquity and sin are the two words used here. Iniquity here is translated as guilt, which Jesus certainly did pay for. But notice it says here in the verb, your guilt is taken away. It's no longer there. It's no longer seen by the Lord. And then it says here, your sins are forgiven or is forgiven. And literally it is, your sins are covered. Once again, painting that picture that they're taken from the eyes of the Lord. In fact, in Jeremiah, the Lord speaks of forgiveness as, I will remember your sins no more. He does not hold them against us. He does not use them against us. That's forgiveness, my friends. 
Did Isaiah deserve this? No, he just got done saying, I'm a sinful man. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among people of unclean lips. So why would the Lord forgive him if he didn't earn it? Because the Lord, by his grace and mercy, blessed him with it. And even blessed him the faith to believe it. And it is through faith in Jesus that you and I are also saved, just like Isaiah the very Lord who paid for our sins and has forgiven us of all of our sins. Motivated by that grace and mercy of God, God will now ask Isaiah, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah couldn't help but say, here I am, save me. He's like a young kid in a classroom putting his hands up because he's so excited to tell the answer. And in fact, he'll probably even blurt out the answer because he can't even wait for the, for the teacher to finish. Inviting. Or even finish the question. Here am I. Send me. Use me. It is with believing hearts and by the grace of God that you and I are also motivated and empowered to serve the Lord. And I pray we always serve with a heart that says, here I am too. Send me. Use me, Lord. The very Lord who's given you talents and abilities and even blesses you with opportunities to share his holy name with others, the very name we cannot live without. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Use me. When you look at the stained glass window, please keep that in mind. The stained glass window is really not of Isaiah. We chose this text to really represent all the prophets in the Old Testament who were called by God and especially were given words, the very words and thoughts of God, and wrote them down. You will notice in, in the hand of the, of the uh, prophet in the stained glass window that he's holding a scroll. And if you look closely, it's actually a little bit of a 3D effect. The scroll actually comes out from the window to emphasize that this is what was really important the very holy word of God. And what is at the heart of that very holy word of God? Christ-centered, Christocentric. The very Lord who gave his life for us. And those Old Testament believers were believing in that Savior to come. We believe he has come, but we also believe he will come again on the last day. But until he does, hanging on to that holy word of God, knowing that holy word of God, taking to heart that holy word of God, Live it, proclaim it, celebrate it. Because it is the message of God. So it is to the praise and glory that we dedicate this stained glass window, knowing it's dedicated to the one who is the King of Kings, but the one who is also called our Savior. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.